this summer we spent some time talking in working through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And today is kind of a wrap-up of that. So if this, if this sermon kind of feels like a book review, that's because that's what it is, okay? It's kind of just coming back and hitting those really, really important points that we've been hitting over the last eight weeks or so that, that maybe we were in and out for because there's some really, really important things in here in these two letters that Paul and Silas and Timothy write that I don't want us to miss out on. And so we're going to come back to it. Um, in light of that, though, we were ready for a plan B this morning of, of either Daniel having to preach or what would have been really cool is if we had to simulcast, okay, and had to like, you know, we would have, Ava's working on the, the PowerPoint back there, and, and she's doing it her second time. She's doing a great job, by the way. Good job, Ava. And, and uh, we were going to have to maybe do live streaming video because I don't know if I was going to be allowed back in the country. We had to leave the country yesterday. We got to come back. That was good. Okay. But we, I, we had to participate in what is called flag polling. I didn't even know there was a word for it, but now I know that there's a word for it. Okay. And what it literally is, is when you're like us in your temporary residence, if you're going to move into a different type of residency, you actually have to leave the country and then come back. I really wish somebody would have told me that I had to do that. And I had all the paperwork in hand like a week ago when we were coming across the border in Blaine. But they didn't. I actually found out in immigration I wasn't supposed to be let in next week, last week. So, you know, praise God for his providence for the ignorant, okay? So we had to get on a boat yesterday. All of us got on the Coho Ferry, sailed over to Port Angeles, went through customs. All of them immediately turned around and got in the line to get back while I ran two blocks up into Port Angeles to grab pizza. I love online ordering. I must have looked really weird, though, because I'm, you know, I'm booking it past all these people, and then I'm coming back with pizza, like, you know, <laughs> say, wait for the boat, you know, and, and, uh, and then we took the ferry back, and then that was our, that was our landing, so to speak, which is kind of funny, because um, actually today, it's the 24th of September, yeah, five years ago today, we did that the first time, when we came as temporary residents, first coming to Canada, in order to work here with you as a church. And so this is actually our fifth year anniversary, and a day before that we did it for permanent residency, not temporary residency. But there's this really interesting space once we get back where we're sitting in immigration, and we're not really in either place yet. We're kind of in limbo. And we're, we're waiting for where we're going to go and what we're going to do, but we're not there yet. But I had my pizza. <laughs> and I had my iPhone so that I could FaceTime the sermon in in case I was still, <laughs> still there on Sunday. Just give me my Bible and my iPhone so that we can take care of this. I love technology. But there is this, there's this inherent thing where even now, even now, we may be permanent residents, but we're not citizens. And there is something very, very gospel about that idea of the fact that, that, that no matter how much a resident we are, our citizenship is somewhere else. In fact, if you look in the Bible, there is probably no better understanding 
of what it means to be a follower of Christ, especially when you look at it off the lips of Christ. In the Gospels, there's no better understanding than to say, you may be residents of one place, but your citizenship exists somewhere else. And the reason that your citizenship exists somewhere else is not because of what you believe, and it is not because of how you act, it is because of your experience of the cross and the resurrection. Those things have transferred, Jesus in those things has transferred your citizenship to somewhere else. And so now you are in essence standing in two places at once. And the best way that I know how to look at that is not to actually, the, the most succinct way I know how to put that is not to look in either of the books of, that are written to the Thessalonians, it's to look in Philippians. And so we're going to read out of Philippians 3 here real quick. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians three ten to 14. Thanks, Michaela. When I, when I hear this in Philippians, when I hear Paul talking about this, and, and obviously Philippians gets written at a much later time in Paul's life. Actually, he's kind of in his own little, you know, like in-between space. He's actually in prison without knowing, you know, where, where is this going to lead? Is this going to lead to freedom of, of like a, a, an earthly nature where I get released? Or is this going to lead to freedom of a heavenly nature where I'm going to meet my Lord? Which, which, which direction is this going to go? I don't know. But when I read this in Philippians, I hear Paul talking about this idea of standing in two places at once, of, of being, being a resident but not being a citizen. He, he's not at the resurrection day, but he seeks to know the reality of the resurrection now in the anticipation of attaining the resurrection from the dead. And this, this word attaining and this word knowing we, we've tended to kind of, again, because the way that we imagine Christianity, I think a lot of times, to know means to think it. And to attain means to receive it or, or to, like, earn it. And that's not really what either of these things mean, okay? Actually, we should talk Spanish for a second. I love Spanish. I speak a little bit of Spanish, un poquito. Um, last night I was with the, with the, I, we ran into Paulo and, and, um, Gabby and Victoria Bustos and the whole family there in Walmart and I ended up talking to them for like 20 minutes and most of it was in Spanish and Molly's just sitting there going, <laughs> and Polo goes, so your dad, he speaks okay Spanish and she's like, is that what that was? <laughs> I'm like, okay, we need to work on that a little. But one of the things I love about Spanish is there's more than one word for knowing something. There's saber, which just means to know it in your head, right? And then there's conocer, which means that you've actually experienced something. 
and, 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 and you have relationship with something, and that's how you know it. I don't say that, like, I, you'll, you'll say, you'll, like, I don't know you, like, as a fact. I know you, yo conozco usted. I know you as a person because we've experienced life together. And so when, when Paul's saying, I want to know the resurrection, He's not saying, I want, to have all, I want to have it all sorted out in my head. I want to know all the facts about it. I want to understand all of the nuances of what it means that Christ has, has been raised from the dead. He says, no, 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 no. I want to have an experience of the resurrection. That is my goal, is to be able to experience the resurrection. Not as something far off and far away, but I want it now in my life now. And I don't know that we think about the resurrection that way very often. I do think we tend to think about the resurrection as something very long off and far away, even though we're told to anticipate that the return of Jesus could be any time now. It still sets really comfortably out there somewhere. And my life then gets to set very comfortably far away from it. Because if you take those two things and you collapse the distance between them, well, now I have to really re-examine a lot of my life, don't I? I have to re-examine the experience of my life. I have to re-examine the priorities of my life. And I think sometimes that's why when we hear this, I want to know Christ and I want to know the resurrection, we think of it in terms of intellectual. It's easier to do it that way. It's much harder to talk about having Christianity as an experience of the power of Jesus as opposed to just knowing facts about Jesus or behaving the way that I think Jesus wants me to behave. Christianity has never been designed to answer those questions, guys. That was not the primary reason of following Jesus. The primary understanding of following Jesus was to know who I am, where I'm from, and where I'm going. If, I, if I'm experiencing those things, then the questions of what do I believe and how do I act, those work themselves out. Underneath the greater questions of who am I in Jesus, where am I from because of Jesus, and where am I going because of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so when Paul talks about this attaining, it's not a concept of earning as though the resurrection is like an award for meritorious conduct, like it's a merit badge or something, okay? The image is about getting a grip on something, about being able to actually hold it, about being able to own it about being able to, or, or in the case of something as big as, a re, as the resurrection, allowing it to own you, to get a grip on it. It's like the Old Testament image of Jacob and the angel wrestling and him just kind of going like, I'm not going to let go until I receive the blessing, okay? You know, the, the presence of God is much bigger than Jacob. Jacob's just kind of hanging on for dear life going, I'm not going to let go until I get what this is all about. And that's really kind of the image that Paul's using there. I'm not going to let go of the, of, this, of the reality of the resurrection, even though at times it feels like I'm standing in two places. There's a tension that comes with the gospel of Jesus because it asks us to do two things at once. It asks us to see a kingdom that's already at hand, working right under our nose and actively dive into it, but then also to look forward to a kingdom that is approaching that sometimes maybe we have trouble imagining or seeing. It asks us to live in two places at once. We were, our young adults group meets on Sunday evenings at our house. 
and we were talking about some of the questions that we, were, that we wanted to, to look at and some of the things that we wanted to do and the activities that we wanted to plan for the fall and, and all this. And in the middle of it, Dawson um, asked a question, and it was just like, how... In essence, he was saying, how do I understand the resurrection well? How do I live in the resurrection well? Um, how do I live in that tension well? How do I keep it from being so far off and away from me, but how do I... How do I keep it from just like dominating and, 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 and messing with me so that I'm constantly looking away and I'm not actually having my eyes on where God has me right now? How do I do that? And I think that that's the whole story of the two letters to the Thessalonians. We look, we look at these and at first glance we look at them as, oh, those are the two letters that talk about like how the resurrection works and how the return of Jesus works. And that's actually, there's only a little bit of space in both of these letters that talks about how the actual resurrection and the return of Jesus works. What most of these letters are about is encouragement and instruction on how to live as resurrection people. How to live in the reality of the resurrection. How to experience that in our daily lives and how to allow that to form not just our thinking, not just our behavior, but to form our understanding about who we are and about where we're going, and about how we live in the meantime, to help us learn how to live in two places at once. As Paul says later, I'm trying to get a grip on this resurrection thing as much as I can in my life right now. I want to understand its fullness as much as I'm able to, so that my life will be marked by the resurrection now, and that day, when in ways I don't yet understand, I'm going to experience it in its fullness. I want to be able to understand it now and experience it now. And I also want to look forward to the day when I'm going to experience it in ways that I can't even comprehend right now. What does that look like? I think it looks like recognizing the power of the resurrection to shape my attitudes about suffering and death. I think it looks like letting the imminence of Jesus' resurrection hone and change my vision and my priorities, and I think that the resurrection empowers me to act in a way that daily crosses that distance between the return of Jesus that is already moving toward me by creating a life that's moving toward it, if that makes sense. It means that our distances, we're, we're shortening the distance together, Jesus and I are, every day. And so with that in mind, let's turn back to the, to the letters of First and Second Thessalonians and see how these things play out in the life of a disciple. Okay, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going we're gonna to move through a lot of passages fairly quickly just to kind of see some things about how that plays out. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, Paul and Silas and Timothy say this, We know... You, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Again, this is not something about how you think or even necessarily about how you act. It is about how your experience of the power of Christ being made real in your life through the Holy Spirit then transforms how you think and how you act. Okay? You know how we lived among you for your sake you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy 
that was given to you by the Holy Spirit. What does it look like for me to live in two places at once? What does it look like for me to embrace the resurrection as an experience of life? When I do that, I think it gives us the ability to appropriately handle the concept of suffering. We were talking this morning in our class about how unity is such a difficult thing because most of our experience is based on comfort. Even in Christianity, most of our experiences become patterned around comfort. And, 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 and if you can look at it as a great blessing, folks, the culture around us has changed so much that we're going to have to try really, really hard to hold on to a comfortable Christianity. It's just not going to wash anymore. Christianity is moving to the margins of our culture. It's not sitting in the center anymore. And while, while that may seem very, very frustrating, very, very fearful, very, very, you know, problematic, I'll just be honest, I for one welcome it. Why? Because my Lord existed at the margins. His message about the kingdom was at the margins. It was, it was where the poor and the needy were. It was where the, 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 the ones that didn't belong found that they had real life. It was, it was, it was in the shadow of an empire that said, this man, the emperor, he is the son of God. That the true son of God came in a stable, right? Like from the beginning to the end. Coming in the stable that's for livestock, hung upon a cross as a criminal, and yet that's where the reality of the power of the gospel was, out at the margins, not where it's comfortable. If we, if we understand that, if we experience that, then we need to reframe suffering, don't we? Because suffering was, suffering was instrumental not just, not just to the atonement, suffering was instrumental to the kingdom coming, to, to Christ really being the victor. Suffering had its place in that. And if that's what, if Hebrews even says that Jesus was transformed by his suffering, then now suffering is not something to be avoided. Suffering is something that has the potential to be transformative. It doesn't make light of it. It just puts it in its proper place again. I mean, think about this. I'm not going to try to minimize the reality of suffering in my life. I'm not going to try to avoid it because, again, in the light of the resurrection, no matter how comfortable we try to take this li- make this life, it's temporary. I had a guy, we're on, the, we're on our way to church this morning, and we're, we're, we're driving. We're singing songs because that's what we do in our minivan to try and focus us away from, like, he's on, he's on my side of the van. He's touching me. Um, to, like, no, we're going to church, guys. Come on. And so as we're singing, we're at a stoplight, and a guy pulls up to me, next to me, in a Ferrari Spider convertible. Kid you not. He was there, right? I was having trouble not looking at him. That's a good car, man. That's a good car. And I'm sitting here singing, like, in essence, this is the day that the Lord has made, and there's a Ferrari right there. And which one do I put my attention on my attention on it's a great car (laughs) dude's not going to be around in 80 years to drive it where's that car going to go and where's the lifestyle that's with it going to go i'm not saying it's bad to have a ferrari i'm just saying like what's captivating us right 
What's captivating me? This is the day that the Lord has made? Or, dude, look at that Ferrari. Like, like, which one dominates my understanding of life? Which one dominates my priorities? The comfort and the trapping of life or why life exists, even when life involves difficulty and suffering? Because no matter how comfortable I make this life, it's temporary. No matter how difficult this life is, it's temporary. We, and, and what that allows us to do is it allows us to come to see value, even joy, in all of our life, including the suffering, including the trial, including the tragedy, because those things are temporary as well, and because we are convinced that God, through the King Jesus, is going to finish the transformation and the justification of this world. We're not going to just escape from suffering. Suffering will be made right. That is the core of the gospel that we understand. That is the core of the gospel that we submit to. Is that God has initiated his plan to rescue the world through Jesus. And you and I are caught up in that rescue plan. And that rescue plan is going to culminate at his return. But it is happening now. We are participating in it now. And even the sufferings that we see going on in the world now, they have their part and parcel in that because that is the reality of the tension of a kingdom that doesn't want to accept its king yet. But the day is coming when they will. And so we live with joy in spite of suffering. And then you move forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And you hear him say this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Okay. We get hung up on those first two verses of like trying to map out what that's going to look like and kind of like, oh, what are the special effects of the return? You know, how would I put this into 4K UHD, you know, and make it look real? And Paul says that's not the point of why we talked about how this return is going to work. The point is, is that you need to encourage each other with these words. Living in the reality of the resurrection gives me an answer in the face of evil and in the face of death. All of our efforts in humanity are ultimately going to fail in the face of death. But the resurrection reality looks to, looks to God as the one who, through Christ, is stronger than death. One of these things that we talked about so much is that, is that the resurrection reminds us that not everything is the way that it actually seems. We may think of the real world around us, but we, we need to understand that the real world around us is only a partial view of reality. Yes, there is real evil. The second letter to the Thessalonians in, chapters, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we talked about an entire week of how it, 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 it spends time embodying that evil that we experience as humanity and that delusion that, that to be able to move in the path of evil is all right. You know, or, or the delusion that evil's not even really there. 
there is real evil looking to delude and to destroy humanity and to, and to dominate creation. And we can get caught up in that. But it also reminds us Christ is greater than any other power. He will overcome evil. And he will, as he already has, overcome death. So both of those things are temporary as well. Is your life marked by death right now? It is real. But it is also temporary. Is your life marked by things that are evil? Those things are real. Don't mess around with them. They're also temporary. They will not satisfy you. Is your life being assaulted by evil? It is real. Don't deny it. It is also temporary. That is not the shape of your life in Christ. Those are the things that we continually must be reminded of if we're going to live in the resurrection. That's what it means. Is that we have vision and answers. See, what that allows us to do, what living in the resurrection of Jesus allows us to do is it allows us to put aside our skepticism. It allows us to put aside all of our sophistication. You know, we feel like we've grown out of this stuff or, or we're, you know, we're, we're bigger than this. And then, like I said, things happen like Charlottesville or things happen like Barcelona. And we're like, okay, maybe we're not so sophisticated anymore. You know, people are bombing London, you know, train stations. And, and okay, we're not so sophisticated anymore. We are able to put aside that when evil and death begin to strip us of love and dignity and breath. And we get to say to those things, you don't get the last word. You don't. You don't get to do the snatching. Jesus is now the one who will snatch us up from you. We will be caught up with Christ, not caught up in death. We will be caught up in the king's reign, not caught up in the evil reign. Any victory that you want to claim right now is hollow and it is temporary because Jesus is now the one doing the snatching. You can't just say that benignly. You can't just like think that, right? It's an experience. It's an understanding. It's a reality that you have to submit to. And the fact that the resurrection is both near and indiscernible, it creates this state of heightened awareness of how I'm living now, right? I, was, I, I went with Shelly to the, to the waiting room um, for this week for her foot, which, by the way, I, did we mention that she doesn't have to have surgery? Okay, well, she doesn't, and that's awesome, okay? So it, it was set well. She's not going to have to have surgery. She is going to have to, you know, come back and keep that air cast on for a while and be immobilized for another few weeks and everything, but she's doing well. But, you know, the funny thing is we were in that waiting room for probably, uh, probably a good four hours, okay, because it's VGH, and that's just life, okay? You know the interesting thing is? Nobody forgot why they were there. There was nobody who went to the point where like, why am I here again? Oh, right, the cast. You know, I mean, it's an orthopedic surgeon. It's for x-rays. You know why you're there. And everybody's got a story why they're there. And we're swapping stories and stuff, okay? Nobody forgot why they were there. Some forgot everyone else was moving through it with them. You know, get grumpy, get short, blood sugar gets low. I don't know. You know, start getting grumpy with people. Some didn't, though. Some were just, you know, it was... 
Some were just the nicest, most loving people to other people in it. But everybody knew, everybody had this understanding that I know why I'm here, I know why we're here, and this is going to be over soon. The gospel describes our position as being awake and sober. A refusal to be lulled to sleep by comfort or status or peace or safety. Because the gospel is not about those things. never has been. It is not looking away and forgetting why we're here. It is being fully in this life, which matters. Because the resurrection is not whisking us away to escape this evil world. The triumph of Christ is approaching it daily. The redemption is near, and we're keeping our eyes open for it. Because again, the way that Thessalonians describes the day of the Lord is not this like, I I love the song, I'll fly away, don't get me wrong, but theologically problematic, okay? Because we're not leaving. We're not leaving. That's never been the trajectory of the Bible. The The trajectory of the Bible has never been God taking his people and whisking them away from all the evil. It's always been the kingdom of God moving forward into humanity, taking over this world, transforming and redeeming it. And when everything finishes, it's going to finish just like it started with God's reign, his peaceable reign, his eternal reign, righting everything that was wrong, overcoming evil, overcoming even death. And so if it's moving closer to us, then living in the resurrection is about being awake and sober and living in such a way that we're moving closer to it every day. We're collapsing the distance between eternity and today. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Is every day I have the opportunity to move more forward toward the resurrection. As Paul puts it, I press on to take hold of that thing in which Jesus has already taken hold of me. Kingdom's already taken hold of you and I through the Holy Spirit. How are we moving to take hold of that more fully? That's what it means to live in the resurrection. And so if we're going to live that way, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians will both say this, we're going to cast aside worthless attitudes like selfishness or disruptive behavior or idle talk. We talked last week about kind of working around and how we treat others as opposed to actually being a part of a community that builds us up in the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to throw away impatience. We're going to throw away distraction. We will especially set aside that false idea that life is primarily about us because it is about the gospel and it is about the kingdom taking us over. When I do that, and this I think is critical, if you talk about how am I going to, how am I going to live as a person of the resurrection? How am I going to live as a child of the king? I am able to allow holy interruptions to help the weak or encourage the discouraged or to put others' needs ahead of my own. I'm not just going to be able to do that. I'm going to seek those things. Why? Because our days are a part of a great introduction into eternity. And every day we are allowed to make the kingdom more manifest in this world. A kingdom that's going to finish with the return of Jesus. Every chance we get draws this world further into the kingdom. And that makes those little holy interruptions really big. That's not something that just came in from the side of your life that was like, oh yeah, well I can take that or leave that and then focus on the important things. That is the important thing. 
The ability to entertain and to respond to someone like Jesus is the most important thing. That is where life, the resurrected life, that's where it really lives. That's where it really exists. All of this other stuff, like your work and and your things, that's actually on the outside. Put it back where it belongs, right? That's what the writer of Hebrews will later say is, is, is go out into the margins where Jesus is and make that your center. And let the stuff that everybody puts at their center, put that back out at the margins because that's the way a life ordered around Jesus looks. We don't forsake the daily life. Instead, our daily life becomes what it was meant to be because it is situated in the resurrection, in the eternity, in the reality of Jesus' return every day. It's what makes life worth living. We're going to come to the table together and we're going to partake of Christ here shortly. And we get a chance to do that with all of the joy and the intention and the seeking to be sanctified and to experience the grace of God and to broadcast it to one another. But that's just a, that's just a microcosm of what this life is really about. What we experience here at the table, we're designed to take out with us into life and do it together. We experience and we broadcast God's grace and peace because he is nearer and nearer each day. And our task is the same as it ever was. It's to prepare the way for the Lord. So as we come to the table, as we worship, as we spend time together, as we eat together, as we go out and serve, whatever it is that we're doing, we're preparing the way for the resurrected Lord. He is coming near. Let us move to take hold of him more each day. Amen? Amen. Amen.